Uh, I think what we're going to do here in the next few weeks in Hebrews is kind of focus in and and uh, dig into and kind of slice and dice a little bit this passage from Hebrews 3, verse 7 to 4, verse 13. There's a lot going on in there, but there are some themes that play through it of um, great importance. And I want to try and cover those bit by bit and piece by piece. This morning I just want to introduce it the way the author does with the first verse and a half or so. Um, calling us again to the same kind of call that he's called us before in his letter. To pay attention. To, uh, uh, to consider what we have heard and what's before us. And how important that is. So... Again, the text is just uh, verses 7 and the first half of verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, you heard them before, but let me read them again for us. God's very word. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Let me pray for us as we come before God's holy word. Our God and Father, we do ask, as always, that you would fulfill your own promise as we come before your word, that you would speak, and that as your word goes out, it would not return to you void, but instead accomplish everything that you have purposed it to accomplish, and be successful in the things for which you sent sent it. Bless us and be with us, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, so that our ears might be open and our eyes open as well to hear and see the things that you would have us learn, and in so doing, plant your word firmly and deep within us so that it might bear fruit in our lives, so that it might be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, that we might walk according to the enlightened path which it shines before us. This, Father, we ask, as always, in the precious, holy, wonderful, superior name of Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. I grew up watching a lot of reruns after school on TV. Uh, one of them that, that we loved to watch for its silliness, really, was the old Batman and Robin TV show. Um, and one of the staples of a lot of those shows and, and similar kinds of movies is um, the cliffhanger. And a lot of those Batman episodes would end with a, a cliffhanger. The, put the heroes in a situation where they have been caught by the villain, whoever it is, and put in a situation where it just appears there's no way they can escape. They're surely going to die this time, and yet you know as a fan they're going to find some way to get out of it. Um, classic example from some of the older movies is the hero who's chained or tied to a big log, and it's on a, on, a, on that conveyor belt as it's slowly moving down to the spinning saw and you just will he get out and how will he get out and for me that was particularly uh, scary the first time I saw it because when I was a little kid my dad worked in one of those sawmills and took my brother and I on a on a tour in a catwalk above the the sawmill I saw one of those saws I saw what it can do it's terrifying um is the hero going to be cut right down the middle or again thinking of the the Batman show you know, you get to the end of the episode and the heroes are there. Their hands are tied behind their backs. They've got ropes around their bodies. Their feet are tied. There's a giant hook hanging from the ceiling and they're hanging from the hook, each over two big vats of boiling 
goo and the voice comes on, will our caped crusaders be cooked? <laughs> Tune in next week. For me, it was the next afternoon. We always knew they would escape, but how are they going to do it? How are they going to get out this time? But then, then, as I got a little bit older, I started to ask why. Why this elaborate contraption to, to finally off Batman and Robin? Why not just kill them when they got the chance? I, I, instead of suspending them by hooks over deadly vats of oozing junk, why not just have your henchmen pick them up and throw them in? I mean, there's a ton of them. They got the word right on their chest, henchmen. It's one of those classic kind of silly things from these um, old movies and, and TV shows. The illogic of, of the villains, their, their silly plans and, and their silly ways of giving the hero just another chance to, to get out of the situation. Or the way that they would, the villains would go on these extended explanations of why they were doing what they were doing and how they were going to make it happen and yada, yada, on and on and on. Meanwhile, the villain's getting his hands free or the hero is getting his hands free or his allies are coming to the rescue just in the nick of time. Um, I loved how the movie The Incredibles made fun of that. Called it monologuing. <laughs> and the villain in there says, Ah, you almost got me monologuing. But there's that question. Why, why give the hero time? Why does the villain give the hero time? If the villain's really that bad and really hates the hero that much, why not just get rid of him and, and be done with it? Why give him the chance? It's just one of those... Unexplainable things from our adventure movies. Heroes might have that luxury in these goofy movies we like to watch. They might have the luxury, and it might be an exaggerated luxury of time. But contrast that, all that silliness that we just talked about, contrast that with the seriousness and the shortness and the urgency of time that the writer to the Hebrews puts before us. There's urgency in this letter, in this sermon. In these last days, the days are short, these are the last days. In these last days, pay attention, pay closer attention than you ever have before. Consider Jesus, and how will we escape if we neglect this great salvation that he offers? There's danger, there's immediate danger, there's looming danger of weakened faith and God's terrible judgment for those who ignore the salvation offered. There's urgency in this letter. In this section that I read for the New Testament reading for, from verse uh, 7 of chapter 3 to 13 of chapter 4, that, that urgency is seen in part by the repeated use of the word today. Over and over again in verse 7 of chapter 3, verse 13, verse 15, chapter 4, verse 7. Today, while it is today, pay attention. He quotes from Psalm 95 three times, four times actually, once at length and three shorter times later. But the today part of that psalm is quoted three times. 
today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That repeated warning is what I want to focus on a little bit this morning. Particularly the the urgency of today and the necessity to hear God's voice. And then next week, my plan is that right now, God willing, to dig deeper into the issue of what a hardened heart looks like and why it's hard. And then the week after that, begin to explore the idea of what it means to enter God's rest. But this morning, the urgency of today and what it means to hear God's word. So let's talk about the urgency first. The author's already told us in this letter, God has spoken in these last days by his Son. So we must pay much closer attention than we have previously to what the Son is saying. Because disobedience is justly punished by a just and holy God. And how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation as that proclaimed by Jesus himself, the Son of God, greater than angels, greater than Moses? So that key idea that we talked about a couple weeks ago, consider Jesus. Take a very close look. Examine carefully who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's promised to do for us. Hold fast to your confidence in him and to the only boast we're allowed to have as Christians, our boast in the Lord and the hope that he has given to us. That hope is called rest in this long section. We'll talk again about hardened hearts and the rest of God in ensuing weeks, Lord willing. But before he gets there, the writer once again urges us to urgent consideration of what we have heard. And so he begins, or, or first appeals to the Holy Spirit, but then quotes from Psalm 95. Today, today if you hear his voice, and today means what, it, what you think it means. It means today. It means now. It means the present. It means not yesterday. Not tomorrow. Today. He's bringing the issue right in front of us. Now you've got to pay attention. Today you have to pay attention. And every day that is today, you have to pay attention. When tomorrow becomes today, you pay attention some more. And when the day after that becomes today, you pay attention to more. But for today, what's right in front of us, hear his voice, pay attention, don't neglect the great salvation that he offers. Today points us to the reality that our salvation is not something that's past, something that's done, that's over, that's complete. Maybe we went to church growing up and We believed as a kid or as a young person. And now we can just go on with our lives in whatever way we want. Today doesn't allow me to do that. Because that's looking to the past. That's looking to yesterday. Today I have to pay attention to these things. Continually reaffirming that faith on a regular, daily basis. Today, today, today. We don't rest as a faith, as a religion, on the ritual and traditions of the past and what other people have done or might have accomplished 
And because they did it, we're in and we can just move on living life any way we want. But today also means we can't wait. We can't put things off. Some of us are great procrastinators. Today means you can't procrastinate. God doesn't leave us hanging over burning vats of goo and then head off to take care of other things, giving us time to figure out how to get out of our dire situation. God confronts us now, today. You can't wait. Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. The Lord tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. And what does that mean for us? What does this urgency of today mean for us? First, it means there should be a similar kind of urgency in our own approach to our own salvation, our own walk with God and before God. There's kind of a, a, a help, I think, in, in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, and Proverbs 24, verses 33 and 34, both say the same exact thing. You've heard this before. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now that applies to living life and not being lazy and the consequences of uh, being lazy. The person who doesn't work finds himself facing real poverty and real lack. But I think there's a way in which we can understand that spiritually as well. You can't be lazy about your faith. There are no days off when it comes to living life as a Christian. For the Christian, there's no way we can approach our faith by saying, well, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Our faith is a living, active faith. And the writer's warning us of the danger. Don't, don't fall into unbelief. Don't fall into being lazy about your faith. Today is the day to nurture your faith. Today is the day to serve God. Today is the day to live out your faith and walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Today is the day to live as salt and light to those around you. Today is the day to be a sweet fragrance, a sweet aroma of Christ to those who are perishing. And as the writer puts it here, today is the day to consider Jesus a much closer attention than yesterday to make sure we don't neglect the great salvation that he offers and has accomplished for us. There's an urgency here in this passage, but it's tied to hearing the voice of God today if you hear his voice. So there's urgency to, to listening to God and being active in that listening process. Now, he's already told us that in these last days, God has spoken by his Son. So today, if you hear his voice, whose, whose voice is it? What's the voice of Jesus? Today, if you hear what Jesus is saying, what God is saying through Jesus, his Son, pay attention. But he also prefaces it by pointing to the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... Not as the Holy Spirit said. Not as the Holy Spirit will say. As the Holy Spirit says. It's a deliberate present tense. 
The Holy Spirit speaks. He didn't speak in some dusty ancient past. He speaks today. He speaks presently. And what the Holy Spirit does is He always points to the Son. Listen to what the Son says. The Holy Spirit prompts us and calls us to listen to what the Son is saying. Hear His voice and hear it now. Hear it today. The Son is speaking and we need to pay attention. This idea of hearing then is something that I want to explore a little bit. And what does it mean to hear the Son's voice? What is, it, what is hearing? What does hearing mean? Well, I kind of think of it in similar terms to how we describe faith. And maybe this will be a little bit helpful for you, as helpful for me. We talk about faith as, as consisting of three things that kind of build upon one another. Knowledge, assent, and trust. It's one thing to know the gospel, to know what it is, to be able to describe it and understand what it is. But knowing the gospel doesn't save you. There's assent, agreement, agreeing with the message of the gospel, that it's true, that it's valid, that it means what it says. But again, understanding the gospel, believing that it's true and agreeing that it's true, doesn't save you either. There's that famous passage in James 2, verse 19, even the demons believe and tremble because they don't have that third component, a personal saving trust in the gospel message itself. To be saved, we have to trust that gospel message for ourselves and for our salvation. Acknowledge that it's for me, that I need it, that the only way I can be saved is to actually put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. So faith, knowledge, assent, trust, a classic way of understanding faith. I think we can take a similar approach to this idea of hearing, hearing the voice of God in Jesus Christ. Because, if you think about it, we hear a lot of sounds without paying attention to them. You've heard the expression, in one ear and out the other. We hear the sound, but it doesn't really register with us. Sometimes we deliberately tune out sounds. Sometimes you have to, to survive in this world um, and be able to focus on the, the things you need to focus on. So hearing isn't just sound entering our ears. That happens all the time. We have to actually pay attention. We have to build on that and actually pay attention to that sound, that word that's coming. So hearing includes not just the sound, but paying attention to it, understanding it, apprehending it. There's an old idea from an otherwise kind of goofy, well, some helpful ideas, seven habits for successful people. But I love this concept. Seek to understand, excuse me, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. And what the, what the principle is saying is, Listen to the other person. Understand what they are saying before you try to barge in with your own ideas and, and uh, argument about what they should think and believe. So not just noticing the sounds, not just hearing the words, but actively listening and trying to understand what is being said. That applies to the words of God as well. We can hear the words and just let them go in one ear and out the other. We can hear the words and understand them, and that builds upon that, but it's still not the kind of hearing that I think is being described here because 
I can understand what you're saying and think you're a complete idiot. Completely disagree with you. This kind of hearing is not just understanding, but agreeing with and submitting to and putting to use in our own lives. And that, I think, is where the warning arises from. Do not hear and harden your hearts. Don't hear and disagree. Don't hear and reject. That's not real hearing from a scriptural standpoint. Instead, hear and accept and obey. Again, drawing from James chapter 1, verse 22, don't be hearers only of the word, but doers of the word. So hearing kind of like faith builds from hearing the sound to understanding what's being said to accepting it and putting it into practice. That, I think, is what the writer is calling to us here and why I wanted to kind of stop and pause before we got into the rest of the passage and say, what does it mean, to one, to understand how urgent this message is, but also to really hear it? Understand it, yes, but accept it and submit to it and apply it in your lives as well. Hear the message, repent, seek forgiveness, and believe in me. Well, that raises another question, at least for me. How do we hear? How do we go about this kind of productive, active, useful hearing? Let me share just a a few thoughts to finish things up here this morning. Where do we see and hear God's word today, primarily? God's Word. We call it God's Word. (laughs) Every time you sit down and read your Bible, you are hearing God speak to you. Because these are His words. And you can think about it that way. So there should be an urgency then to our Bible reading and to our Bible study so that we can hear and understand and apply and accept the Word of God in our lives. That can be an individual study. You can do it with your family. You can do it with friends, with other believers. Do it with the assistance of a teacher of some kind through a commentary or a book or an audio, a video. But there should be an urgency to our study of God's Word so that we can hear His voice, truly hear it, accept it, believe it, submit to it, and apply it in our lives. I talked about studying and hearing it with others because there's also there's another urgency in here that I think is implied, at least in the text. Jesus is speaking to the church, to be sure, but Jesus calls to the world as well. And so there's a, 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 an accompanying urgency, I think, to getting the word out to people who have not heard it Heard it in that full sense of hearing it, understanding it, accepting it, and applying it in their lives. There are people who need that still and don't have it. How are they going to hear his voice? Well, also primarily from Scripture, but I think there are several ways to do that. I just want to suggest some things, some ideas to take home with you, and some that you're familiar with already. One simple thing you can do is just give them a Bible to read. Many people have never cracked open the pages of a Bible. 
America, I get it, is, in, is a country where there's probably five or six Bibles in just about every household. But that's an average. A lot of households have none. A lot of people have never picked up a Bible and read it. Why did the Gideons put Bibles in hotel rooms? Lonely people on the road dealing with difficult times will turn to it and read it for the first time. Give them a Bible. We do that here. And I think that's one of the neat little things we can do as a small church. Give them a Bible. Let them read it. And we've had good feedback from that effort. It's, it's neat to hear the, the feedback of people who have gotten a Bible and, and the things that they've gotten out of it. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that they can read the Bible. And I don't mean the ability to read. I mean, is it in a language that they understand? Translation is vital. What do the Reformers fight for but to get the Bible in a language that we could read? We common people couldn't read Latin and Greek and Hebrew back in the day. It had to be translated into our language. And so the work of translators is vitally important. How can we support that? How can we continue to support the work of, uh, of people like David in Israel and Hageffen? Think of this. For the first time, putting the Bible in modern Hebrew... <laughs> People in Israel can't read the Hebrew that, that's in my study, in my, in my Old Testament Bible. It's like us trying to read Old English. I can't read Old English. It's a, it's a mess to me. So for the first time, putting the Bible into modern Hebrew so that the people in Israel can actually read a Bible. What a remarkable thing. Carl Dolfred working in Thailand, others working in remote parts of the world, simple, effective thing we can do is support these kinds of people in the work that they do. What else can we do to help people hear God's word? A simple thing that we can do is read a Bible with somebody. Read it to each other. Read it to your kids. Read it with your friends. And it doesn't have to be a formal Bible study where we dig into word meanings and esoteric things like that. It could just be sitting and reading a, a, a book that you like with somebody that you like <laughs> who needs to hear the word. Maybe someone at work, maybe a friend, maybe a family member would just be willing to sit down and read the Bible with you and have a simple conversation about what it says. This can be effective. There is a verse in our passage. Chapter 4, verse 12, what does it tell us? God's word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of Soul and spirit of joints and marrow discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Maybe someone you know just needs to have someone sit and read the Bible with them. So that two-edged sword can begin to pierce into the thoughts and intentions of their hearts. Maybe bring about repentance and faith. Think especially about the people maybe you've invited to church and they're not responding. I know many of you have done this because you've told me about your frustration. Maybe just offer to sit down and read with them and see where that leads. You can go deeper. You can have a Bible study if you feel uh, the need for that or the benefit of that. Great thing to do at work, again, with family, at school, in your neighborhood. Invite your neighbors. It's more formal. You might need some formal help with that through a commentary or a study Bible or a guide of some kind. But it's a great way, again, to interact with others and help them to hear Jesus speak. He is speaking in these last days. And it's urgent today 
that we hear His voice. And other ways to go deeper than that. Videos and audio sermons, lectures that are available free and widely uh, in libraries and on the internet and so many other uh, ways to access those. You can study a devotional, you can study a theological book, not directly reading God's Word, but can it be such a helpful instruction and guide uh, to explain and comment and and encourage uh, the reader and the hearer. Or, as many of you have done, invite people to church to sit under the teaching and preaching of God's Word. We believe that the Word goes out, that it's not me speaking, it better not be me speaking, or I'm not doing what I'm called to do. God speaks, and his word does not return to him void. It does not return to him empty. It has an effect. It is living and active. So it's urgent for us to hear Jesus speaking, hear the word, and also for those around us to hear Jesus speaking. And what we're going to get into in the next couple weeks is that in hearing that we not respond like Israel did in the wilderness, with hard hearts that do not trust in God and His promises. This is urgent. This is important. If you hear the voice of the living God and don't believe, the consequences are serious. Death. That unbelieving generation that we read about in Numbers died in the wilderness, never saw the promised land, never entered into the rest that was offered them to have there. That reality is just an illustration of the greater truth and greater reality. Unbelief means you miss out on the eternal life of the new heavens and the new earth and the eternal rest offered by God by grace alone and through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. It means you suffer instead eternal death. The message of the writer here is urgent. Today, hear his voice and do not harden your hearts. Instead, hear the voice of the living God and repent and believe and live. And I would urge us as well to help others to hear the voice of the living God so that they also might believe and live. Not tomorrow, or tomorrow, or tomorrow, but today. Now. Now is the moment of salvation. Today is the day. Let me pray for us. Lord God and Father in heaven, may your word bear great fruit in our hearts And may it do so as we hear it and understand it, apprehend it, believe it, accept it, and live by it. As always, we are completely and utterly unable to do this in our own strength and ability, and so we ask again for the powerful work and presence of your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, to help us understand, and to help us apply that word and put it to use in our lives. This we ask as always. In the superior, matchless name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen.